Sometimes, if you listen long enough, the weird things can end up sounding reasonable. Other times, the mundane can turn fantastic on closer inspection. Let's dive into Genesis and discover that once you listen with the right ears, the familiar may turn out to be more extraordinary than you thought. Angels, Wizards, and Sherlock Holmes on this week's episode of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. You don't want to miss it. You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 27 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. As always, Matt and Nathan Van Horn are joining me, and we are privileged to have you listening uh, taking 30 minutes out of your day to listen to us. And we hope this is going to be a fantastic episode. And I'm going to reiterate, if you have been listening to the podcast, you know that we've been talking about some weird things and we're going to jump into it, assuming you have already listened to the past two episodes. So if you are just listening to the podcast for the first time, go ahead and go back to episode 25. And speaking of first episode of the podcast, uh, we mentioned last week that we were closing in. We guessed around 700 subscribers and we were kind of unsure. And the reason for that uncertainty is that we were actually locked out of one of our podcast analytic platforms. However, in the subsequent week, we have gotten back into that and we've discovered that not only have we passed 700 subscribers, we're actually just barely beyond the mark of a thousand subscribers, which is Fireworks. a huge deal and that's a huge milestone. So thank you to our subscribers for doing that. Yes, thank you. Wow, I feel like I owe everyone an apology because I yeah. I accused you all of slacking, but thank you for doing what you should have been doing all along. God bless you all. <laughs> well, Nathan, you may want to hold off on that because the oh, okay. also, they also reveal that we have more than 9,000 people who have listened to the podcast but have not subscribed to it. So that's a oh. huge delta between those two people. Well, I, so I'm right a, now. I'm a pastor. I'm used to about one out of 10 people listening, so. Uh, oh, that's not I'm fair. kidding. I'm kidding. That's not I'm kidding. fair. I, I've, I've been always I, listening more than you think they are. I, I was joking. I've been blessed with very gracious and supportive churches. <laughs> oh, and then one more thing before we move on is that the analytics, uh, so I saw something interesting in them. Um, as you may know, uh, me and Matt are, we're here in Tupelo, Mississippi, while Nathan is down south of Meridian. So we expected the top two cities that people are listening to the podcast to be Tupelo and Meridian. And Tupelo is at the top. However, Meridian is not number two. That distinction belongs to Atlanta, Georgia. So who do we know uh, in Atlanta? That's what I want to find out. Um, if you are listening to this and you live in and around the Atlanta area, uh, please contact us at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com because we would love to hear how you got hooked into the podcast because it's not just a small amount of you, it's a large amount of you. And so we want to we know how that came to be. So please contact us on our website. By the way, can I just say at this point, it feels like you are directly thwarting everything I say. 
Um, <laughs> Nathan, I let I let you have the segues back last episode. That's All fair. Right, you need you That's need to fair. take what you can get. Uh, uh, speaking of which, uh, what are we talking about? What what verses are we covering this well, week? Well, yeah. So last week's episode we intended to lay out all three views uh, for the mingling of the sons of God and the daughters of men. And we actually only got through two, the two that the, that we are not adopting within the podcast. Uh, the first of those is the Sethian view, right? The idea that the sons of God represent the godly descendants of Seth and the daughters of men represent the not so godly descendants of Cain's lineage. The second view is the dynastic kingship view. Uh, that these are new characters in the story who that are a means of capturing, uh, you know, kind of the source of all the great uh, king nations, god kings uh, of antiquity. Um, and we really, uh, cons- you know, filled an entire episode just talking about the relative strengths and weaknesses of those two views. So we ended up s- uh, saving the third view that we have dubbed the weird view uh, for today's episode. Or let's say, let's call it weird to us. Because interestingly, I, I've had the privilege of uh, teaching on some of this material in other parts of the world. I'm thinking of Southeast Asia. And when we went over this material and it came to this, and this was not the focus of the teaching, but when it came to this being mentioned, the, it was not weird to those cultures at all. It was the, Oh, that's interesting. Like, oh, yeah. So I wonder if if weird, how much of that comes from just us being american or western uh, western so, yeah yeah hey matt so, can i can i ask why we don't have a southeast asia listenership i feel like you probably should be because this is an english-speaking podcast <laughs> okay so so oh. so what so we so we see the world through the same eyes but we do not hear it through the same ears correct um, correct okay well i'm just saying step up your game there yeah um, <laughs> we, we can I, get this translated I, surely and, I, and yes. i'll try i'll try to get meridian in the top two <laughs> all right yeah. well then let's jump into it uh nathan i tell you what why don't you read the verses we've been unpacking uh that's genesis 6 1 through 4 sure and reminder to our listeners we are reading each week from the esv and before you start reading just just to go ahead and tip off where we're going today we're surprised uh going to do two episodes here uh we're going to focus first here on the issues of the text and then this next episode after this we're going to talk about some early interpretations from christian fathers and jewish fathers and uh to so to support what we're saying in this episode gotcha uh so genesis 6 1 through 4 when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them the sons of god saw that the daughters of man were attractive And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. You know, I'm going to be really excited once we finally get to the Nephilim because we it's been on the horizon for us for a really long time in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> and, and we'll and we'll probably we can we, we almost cannot avoid touching on them tangentially as we you know navigate some of the arguments uh, for our view of this passage. 
Um, but we, we will definitely dedicate more time to them in weeks to come. I say that with, with the Better Than Fiction Bible podcast, I should probably say in months to come. <laughs> yeah, um, you never know. Well, all right. So, we Nathan, you've ran, run us through the, the other two views, right? The Sethian view and the Dynastic Kings view. So what is this weird view or weird to us view? Yeah, the weird to us view is that maybe, just maybe, this passage is capturing the union between heavenly beings or spiritual beings, as we sometimes call them, with earthly human beings. And before we get into all the reasons uh, we've tried to think of for why that might be the case, I just want to point out something in the text. Um, so look at how Genesis 6-1 reads. It says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and what, what were born to them? Daughters. Yeah, almost always in previous passage, the emphasis has been on sons, right? We know, you know, so the, so the text explicitly mentions that Adam and Eve uh, had daughters, but it focuses first and foremost on Cain and Abel, and then later Cain and Seth, correct? So, so why focus in this passage, before you get to this weird commingling of sons of God and daughters of men, why focus exclusively on daughters being born to mankind? Couple that with the fact that, as we've mentioned in previous episode, the verbatim phrase, sons of God, in the Old Testament is used exclusively not for earthly beings, but for spiritual beings. So man, if, if I'm reading the Bible as a story and I see, okay, here's a shift to female human creatures uh, or female human beings. Uh, sorry, women, I didn't mean to call Dang, y'all. Nathan. <laughs> I didn't mean to call y'all creatures. Um, hope, hopefully this is one of the episodes my wife does not listen to. I love you, Haley. Um, but if I see a, a shift in emphasis to female uh, human characters is the word I initially meant. Uh, if I see a shift to female characters on the earthly realm and here enters the consistent sons of God language on the heavenly realm, man, no matter how hard it is for me to conceptualize the the meaning is pretty clear within the vocabulary of the old Testament. So, um, I, I tried to think of, uh, after last week's episode, what are some ways that this view actually captures the strengths of the other views without having some of the weaknesses? Uh, and so one thing that came to me is, is the fact that we talked about uh, the fact that the Bible is a story and, and usually doesn't introduce characters at random. So, for example, one of the weaknesses to me of the dynastic kingship view is that if it's capturing the kings of the nations, the dynastic kings, where are those guys coming from in the text? Right. right? They're, it just, they're just being dropped in all of a sudden. Yeah. One of the strengths of the Sethian view is at least it's establishing a continuity between the characters you see in the genealogies with the terms you see here, the sons of God and daughters of men. Fair? Fair. But but are there other biblical characters to whom we've been introduced earlier in the story beyond human characters? Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, the, there's spiritual beings for sure in the Garden yeah, of Eden. Yeah, the, the divine council. We, we saw that not only with the serpent, but with... You know our reading of Genesis one twenty six with the cherubim the stationed. Yeah, right. the, he- the yeah. All, all the host of, of them in Genesis two. That's and let's not forget the flaming sword that that's was spinning right. all right. around. Whether it's right. a propeller or a perimeter, yeah, still don't know on that. Um, I, I know how you go, Gandalf. I just say I'm, my mind's not made up. Um, <laughs> yeah. So number one, this does not require an abrupt entrance of a new character into the narrative. 
That's the strength for me of this reading. Uh, number two, um, a weakness of the Sethian view, uh, Gandalf, I thought you captured it, is perhaps it's too mundane. Here is a here is a narrative that has been flooded with supernatural claims. Why would this be the first instance that we don't read it that way when we are tempted to? Um, at least with the dynastic kingship view, in fact, this makes more, view, uh, more sense of the dynastic kingship view, if these are uh, heavenly beings interming intermingling with earthly beings, it makes a whole lot more sense for ancient kings to say, oh yeah, not only do I rule by divine right, I rule by divine blood. Right. In other words, pretend I'm an ancient king. How do I legitimate my rule? Is it simply I'm smarter than the people around me, I'm more resourceful, or perhaps I'm bigger and stronger because I have the blood of the sons of God coursing through my veins? It's hard to argue with that. Yeah, and in fact, it's so interesting, and we'll, we'll come back to this. I'm not going to camp on it now. Um, but uh, however we understand the Nephilim, uh, Matt, usually when we see that referenced in Greek, how do they render that? Well, it's rendered as giants. I mean, the KJV just calls it giants outright. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's rendered. Uh, and by the way, Nephilim is just left untranslated. I mean, that's what, I mean, it's an untranslated word. It's not, yeah. Nephilim is yeah. not an English word. It, it's transliter <laughs> It's transliterated from Hebrew. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so, man, to, in other words, why are we, why are we hesitant to take the leap from a giant, a superhuman figure to sons of God, daughters of men, supernatural unions? And also just to jump ahead a little in the story, when the Israelites encounter the Nephilim, when they rebel at Kadesh Berea, is they they comment on their tall physical stature. And the text specifically says the Nephilim are tall, and specifically that the, that the Israelites are like grasshoppers in their presence. Can, can, I, uh, can I go one, can I double down on that since you appealed to the other instance of Nephilim? Sure. When, when, when does that happen? When they're about to do what? re-enter well ooh, that's good Enter you see what i'm saying oh, you hear uh -oh. i'm going so so <laughs> here's what we're contending listeners if you didn't pick up where we're going the nephilim are first introduced to us once uh man and woman have been put out of the garden out of the initial promised land when god is bringing back his corporate people israel to the land of promise what's the barrier for them taking that land hey the nephilim are there i think that's interesting mm. Also, um, Nathan, we've talked about in our Proto-Evangelion episode, we talked about... Um, your seed? Whole, your seed <laughs> versus his seed, the, the seed of the serpent, so the, the seed of the divine character that's in rebellion, and then also the seed of woman, so that there will be hostility between the two. And, and I want to, I wanna, both literally and figuratively, right? Correct. Uh, and I also want to capture relative to what you just said, something I mentioned in passing last week. In Genesis 3, whom does God judge? What supernatural being receives judgment? The serpent. The serpent. Just the serpent. So where are all his fallen angels? Where Where is the judgment of the other heavenly rebels? Uh, I can't or, remember or, the chapter out of Milton's Paradise Lost, but, you know. That's it. It has, <laughs> in the text it's of Genesis. biblical. In the text of Genesis, it has not yet happened. Who are, in other words, who are the devil's allies? Where, where do these it, other? It seems like it was a solo job. Is this their act of rebellion? 
Mm. And In other words, talk in future weeks where the New Testament writers seem to suggest that it is. Yes, we'll really unpack that by looking at Second Peter and Jude. If you want to jump the gun and read, you know, study those before next week. Um, but I, I, I can't get around. I can't get around that. Uh, we see. We argued that what you read about the serpent, uh, this fallen guardian cherub or seraph from Ezekiel twenty-eight, plays out in real time in Genesis three on the Satan episode. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, is is this is this the initial? rebellion of other heavenly beings that we're seeing playing out in real time in Genesis 6. And and one of the reasons that I think that's so interesting, Matt, you and I have talked about, are the ways that two different things get grouped. Um, both, and we'll talk about this more next week, in Jewish and Christian sources. Um, it's this uh, forbidden knowledge, knowledge that God did not intend for people with, mm-hmm. procre- with procreation, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, it's so interesting um, in, in Genesis 3, they eat of the forbidden fruit. They receive forbidden knowledge. And then what parts, what do they see differently? I mean, of all the things they looked at, the first thing they saw differently is their naked bodies, their procreative Correct. capabilities. The first action outside of the garden is procreation. And also, um, the, the only sensual, you know, there are more sensual experiences outside of sexual. Like eating is a sensual experience. They were, um, you're using your senses. The forbidden knowledge led to them having an illicit sensual experience and eating something they were not supposed to. And so it seems to be here is that the, there's another pattern that we're, we're talking about. Or the same pattern. We're how, and I guess what I'd say, how interesting would it be if this pushes uh, uh, heavenly rebellion one step further and that they're not only imparting to mankind a knowledge God did not intend for them, they are mingling with mankind in a way that God did not create either mankind or spiritual beings to do. So I, just listening to you talk, Nathan, uh, in reverse of uh, last week's episode, I become more convinced of the supernatural view the more I hear you say it because it seems like it just it makes everything click together. It solves a bunch of problems that the other views maybe it, can't surmount. That's and it. It kind of reminds me of uh, one of my favorite fictional characters, Sherlock Holmes. He's got a famous quote that says, once you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. Only mm. we, ha- we have to sub improbable for weird, right? For weird. <laughs> so like we, we, we've kind of like burnt away all of the problems with the other ones. And what remains is we've just got to take the text at this surface level reading. You know, there is no deeper interpretation where it's like ancient kings or... Anything else, it just seems like it's saying, well, yeah, and, this is what happened. And, and in my mind, this this captures this. In other words, this it's the explanatory power even for the other views. In other words, if things are going if things are going so well with the development of Seth's lineage, how does the flood follow that? <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and, and 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 where the where do these dynastic kings come from? But if you right. have the elements for a humanity seeking God culminating with Noah, who will be used as the savior figure in the flood from Seth's genealogy, alongside some negative tendencies uh, of Cain's line, exacerbated by heavenly rebellion, the co-mingling, and, and, and what results from that, man, that that's a much more comprehensive context for what's going to happen in the flood. Correct? 
Correct. Um, so I, I think of the C.S. Lewis quote, um, and I, I hope I don't butcher it. He says, essentially, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And, and that, that to me, however weird it seems, is the strength of this view is not just its explanatory power for the immediate context, but its explanatory power for all the other threads that we've been discussing in relation to each other. There, there um, is a proof text, though. There is a go-to proof text from the New Testament that people frequently use when we espouse this view. There's a quick go-to. And to shut it down, you To shut it down, to you shut mean? It down, shut it oh, down. I know it's where you're of, going. Yeah. It's out of, out, out of Matthew. Why don't you read it to us, Nathan? Uh, and this is uh, Jesus arguing uh, with the Sadducees over the resurrection, but it's neat how he unpacks his logic. Uh, he says, For in the resurrection... They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So some people read Matthew twenty-two thirty and say, well, uh, you know, QED, that's the end of the argument. The angels in heaven do not marry. Ergo, the angels in heaven cannot cohabitate. But right. is, that, is that what the text says? Does it, mm-hmm. is, is it about the relationships they have, or is it about the relationships of which they are capable? Why, in other words, why would you talk about the angels specifically the angels in heaven, right? Not not marrying. Unpack that for us. Well, just a couple of thoughts. Uh, one is uh, reading the Pseudepigrapha and First Enoch. Uh, it was during one of my seminary classes. I can't remember which one now. Coming across that phrase where it gives a distinction between the angels that descended to earth versus the angels which remained in their proper estate in heaven. So it. Could it be? And that was the first time I thought, oh, wait a second. Of course, Enoch is not canonical. However, it is used by the scripture, and it was seen as authoritative, certainly by many of the church fathers. So it was just something in my mind. And it really pushed me into a, a more fundamental like, thing. What are angels? Like, if we're going to talk, what are angels? What is their purpose? I have, well, I have, so, yeah, I have so much fun with this in my Bible study because one week I was like, you know, draw an angel, and everyone's got like the Christmas tree topper angel, right? Um, but what's the catch? Biblically, angels are never described as having wings, wings. right? Right. Uh, in fact, biblically, whenever you see an angel, they look very human. And not only do they look human, hey Gandalf, name as many angels as you can off the top of your head. Like think of think of named angels in the Bible. Uh like uh Michael, Gabriel, uh the very human sounding names. Not only are they human not not only are they human sounding, they are exclusively male. Yeah, we yes. never we never see a female angel. Isn't that interesting? The sons of mm. God saw the daughters of men. <laughs> And, and I, I keep going back to the parallel to Genesis 3. Saw, Ra'ah, Good, Tov, Took, Lakak. Um, if, the and, initial, if the initial heavenly rebellion occurred with that trifecta, is it possible the heavenly rebellion of far more than the serpent is being broadened here when that trifecta hits a new scale? So also what you talked about in selective supernaturalism, because... I don't know if you this was mentioned in our conversation before, we've already mentioned it in this podcast, is that we certainly are not opposed to the idea that divine beings can intermingle 
with humanity, or a, at least a divine being can intermingle with humanity in such a way to produce a child that is both human and divine. I mean, that's like the cornerstone of our faith. Yeah, I was about to say, even if people object to what we're saying now, I can think of one instance that most people are on board with that with such a uh, uh, cohabitation or such a uh, relationship occurring. Um, so I never will forget. I was teaching on this one time. It was a, not at the church that I am now, uh, and it, it sounds crass in, in the what, moment. But somebody I've, raised. Go ahead. We need to be explicit. We're talking about the virgin birth. Yes, Correct. we are talking about the virgin birth there. Not now. Not anymore. I'm not talking about the virgin birth here. I'm now talking about sons oh. of God, daughters of men. Okay. Fair. So. Um, but a hand went up and immediately, and I'm not trying to be crass here, but this is what it was said. It was, uh, Pastor, uh, could you describe angel sex for me? And that was not, they were not trying to be crude. They were really, again, when all you think of as angel is this, this cherub up in the clouds, you know, with wings and whatnot, and just kind of floating around. It's, it's just, it's not a part of our normal thinking at all. Like, how is that possible? And faithful listeners, with this week's scandalous topic, we reintroduce you to Pastor Matt Powell. <laughs> uh, so, That's right. So here's, here's a couple of things to think about, is that what Nathan has just reminded us is that angels always appear in the text as male. Even the ones that are not named are called men. Also, not only are angels male, we do have instances in the scripture where angels take on human form. The angel of the Lord does, as well as the angels who attend with him. I think about Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. I think about the, Moses, the ma- Moses yeah, and, speaking. And, and, yeah. and Jacob, it's the man of God. That's right. That's right. I think about Joshua, man, and be, yeah. the commander of the Lord's army. I, th- I think about the uh, also Abraham when he is sitting at the oaks owned by Mamre, and the three visitors appear. And one is the Lord taken on human flesh. And then the two with him are two beings with him and they share a meal. Well, spirits don't eat because one of the things that Jesus did to prove that he wasn't a spirit alone, that he, he actually had flesh, he took of the bread and he ate with them. He broke the bread. So there is um, evidence in our Bible that angels can take on human flesh. And so that's an important thing to remember. Also, another thing to remember, well, why are angels even interacting with the pre-flood antediluvian world at all? Well, this is where... Outside of the garden. Outside outside of the garden. garden. And this is where we need to be reminded of a couple of things. Hebrews tells us that they are ministering spirits. They are ministering spirits. They have been sent to aid humans. And this is a theme that is found throughout the Bible. Angels are ministering spirits. Also, the New Testament is explicit that angels are also frequently deliverers of the word of God to humans. So, for instance, when in, in Hebrews, when it talks about the, the um the Ten Commandments being given to the people of Israel, that the that there was a myriad of angels present. So that angels have been tasked not with just guiding humanity, but also bringing the word of God to people, divine message, whether it be the, the scripture. So if that is the theme that we see post-flood, 
it seems reasonable to think that pre-flood bringing the word of God to people would seem to be a similar task. But what we find here is that when these angels took on corporeal flesh, they, rather than bringing the word of God to people, they worked their own agenda and took for themselves wives. I said last week, we have no problem with the idea of multiple earthly rebellions against God. Why are we inherently scandalized by multiple, multiple heavenly rebellions against God? And I want to, because I keep making links back to Genesis 3, and, and here's here's a big link that I've been thinking about, but I haven't stated outright. The essence of Adam and Eve's failure in Genesis 3 is that they partook of something God did not intend for humans. That's right. Is it, is, is it possible that the essence of the heavenly rebellion for the sons of God in this passage is that they are partaking of something God did not intend for spiritual beings? It's interesting. That is what Enoch picks up on, is because. Well, not, yeah, I was I was using that as a lead, leading question, knowing that we're going to discuss Enoch. Right, because yeah. Enoch picks up on that because. But I, I, I wanted that ominous, serious tone, yes. though. Yeah, sorry, no, I ruined it. But but it, it, in in the pseudo pseudepigraphal work of Enoch, it is God is telling the the degenerate angels that descended to earth and sinned. It was listen. I did not give you wives. This was not for you, and you crossed a boundary. So in the same way that Adam and Eve, I did not give you this knowledge. This was a boundary for you. You've and crossed you a boundary, it. yeah. That's right. Yeah, you know, and I can't remember if we've talked about it here or not. Um, it was the sociologist, uh, Mary 2 Douglas, who said, uh, who defined dirt as matter out of place. In other words, dirt <laughs> in your garden is wonderful. Dirt on your living room floor is not. Uh, and when when we when when we cross boundaries uh, that God put in place, things get dirty. Um, uh, and I think that's what's going on. This is the original bad romance of Scripture, and that will also be a theme that we see all the way through until Christ redeems that by the perfect divine human relationship, not only the virgin birth, but Christ and His church. Hmm. And you know, you're talking about. This whole episode, we've been making these convincing arguments for the this divine view. But man, I got I got one that trumps all of y'all. What you've been guys have been talking about, and that's well, clearly J.R.R. Tolkien subscribed to the supernatural view because <laughs> Matt's talking about you know angels taking on human form and being messengers from heaven, and then some of them falling away and going after their own agenda. That's exactly describing the wizards, the Ishtari, from Lord of the Rings. Oh, that's right. right. Mm -hmm. because Gandalf and Saruman and all of them, Radagast, they come down, they're supposed to have a mission to guide men, and then almost all of them immediately go off and pursue their own pleasures. Mm. So if it's good enough for J.R.R. Tolkien, it's good enough for Gandalf. <laughs> for, for Gandalf, you. Not, not for the modern, for the modern clear, yeah, yeah. That's, as, that's as I sometimes quip when I bicker with Haley, I can't refute that logic. <laughs> <laughs> And Tolkien is not the only one who held these views, and we're going to talk about that next episode. Some of the people from you know, Jewish writings all the way to early uh, Christian fathers who also held this view. So we and, promise it's not just us. And, and right. the New Testament. And the New Testament. And can I have a—let me make a closing comment here just to leave you all thinking on. One of the things— is that we've talked about through this is when we talked about the primordial waters, it was, hey— if you're going to be an ancient account of creation, you've got to deal with primordial waters. We talked about, hey, you've got to deal 
with the sacred garden. You've got to deal with the the flood. You've got to deal with the with the king's list. Kings. Yes. However, there is another thing that is found cross cultural everywhere. Whether you go to ancient Greece, Native American, Native South American, whether you go to Southeast Asian cultures, everyone has this story of how the immortals crossed the boundary into humans. They have this story. So this is a cross-cultural story. So is is this the Bible's not, uh, you know, retelling of it, but rather giving the authoritative discussion that, hey, these were not gods and demigods, these were rebellious angels. And I think that's what we're contending, and we'll talk more about that next time. It'll make you look at Maui a whole different way. <laughs> what can I say except you're welcome? Yeah, there's a, there's our there's our post conclusion matter. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, thank you, listener, for joining us. And a uh, reminder: next week uh, will be a direct continuation of this episode. So every Tuesday morning we have a new episode, which you will always be on top of if you subscribe to the podcast. Help us get that number be um, past a thousand now and even farther beyond. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. See you next time. Shalom. And there we go. I'm stopping him.